Let's move on to our second guest, uh, who is no stranger to Albany, by the way, and that is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you so much. It's great calling in and speaking with you. So you are a former state senator, uh, which probably people who followed your career know well. Um, but what's your what's your reaction to what we've seen uh, come from Albany, uh, especially these last couple of days on the on the rent regulations? I'm still being uh, debriefed on it. I was in meetings all day, but from just from what I heard, we are clearly reaching in a direction where we're looking at how to ensure our laws are fair. When you look at the various areas, everything from MCI to vacancy decontrol, many of these areas, uh, going back to the days when Councilman Espriot was there, and he put together a sweeping group of bills that never really made it to the floor and we were unable to pass them. And so I think that with the Senate and Democrat control as well as the Assembly and with the large enough voting block, it makes it easier to accomplish the task. And I think they should be you know, happy for the results that they move forward and so much more to do. And I think that you're going to see a great deal of things done if they continue to retain control of the Senate. So over the next few days, uh, Mr. Borough President, there is a lot left to be done potentially in Albany, a lot of big ticket items still on the table. When you think about that list that people rattle off of marijuana legalization, driver's licenses for the undocumented, the charter cap 50A, what would you say are your priorities? What do you want Albany to do? What do you think they absolutely must do before they go home June 19th? Well, it's not really, it hasn't been, uh, communicated a lot, but one area we need to look at is the fair fund for education. Um, far too long, although there was a campaign for fiscal equity, we never did get our due, and the numbers just don't add up when you look at the numbers that come to New York City. I think it's important uh, that we revisit that. And this has an opportunity to ensure these get their share in, in education, educational dollars. <laughs> in addition to that, a legalization of marijuana is important with a cleaning of the records of those who were arrested. We need to give people an opportunity to go on with their lives. And as long as you have that police record hanging over your head, it really impacts the quality of life around employment and other areas that a person can be productive in society. I think that we should take a very close look at uh, how we're we're going to deal with uh, the prison reform. There's so much more we, we can do around prison reform. That no one should be held on bail if they're arrested for a nonviolent crime. There's other ways to ensure that they will appear in church and in court. And I think going even deeper on prison reform is something that I, I think they should look at as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you have come out in support for extending driver's licenses to to all, to including undocumented immigrants. I'm sorry, you broke up when you said that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've come out in support of uh, driver's licenses for all, including undocumented immigrants. That's something you want to see them get done. Yes, that's a win-win. And just think about it for a moment. It's an economic win because it allows infusion of a real tax dollars by allowing undocumented immigrants to have driver's license and allow them to 
not live in the shadows of employment. They're driving anyway. They're on the road. Uh, we don't know how many hit-and-run incidents are attached to a person having their driver's license. Um, when we're able to forms of identification like the municipal ID program, it shows that people are willing to step out of the shadows of government. It's hard enough with the energy that's coming from Albany that's anti-immigrant. It should not be the same. And I think it's a real win. It allows people to be on the road. It, it will deal with reporting incidents and accidents, allowing people to be employed. And there's just a win-win all the way around if we're able to make this happen during the session. So as Albany winds toward the ends of its session, the end of its session, uh, the city uh, is moving toward its annual budget deadline. I'm curious with the city budget as a topic, what are your priorities there? Where do you want to see what the mayor has proposed uh, shorn up or, or shaved off? What, what are your suggestions for the city's spending plan for next year? There are several areas that uh, I believe is important. One is what was always been important with me, and that's in, in education. Uh, we have to do more in early childhood education. And uh, really, it's, it's more than just pre-K and 3K. Uh, I am hoping the, the mayor and the city council look at the 0-3 to three model that we have been talking about and other educational experts have been also talking about. We're not doing enough in early childhood education. Uh, eight, between the eight, we're the formal. We're uh, we're losing you in and out there, Borough President Adams. I am so sorry. That's Can you okay. Hear me now. Yep, that's pretty good. I was saying that uh, a child's brain developed between the ages of zero to three. Yet we do not have a formal. We're not showing parents whether they could. So when we look at early childhood education, that is the area I'm hoping uh, that we we can look towards. Also, equity in uh, those pre-K, non-DOE, but that are in local uh, community-based organization and nonprofits, we believe they should receive an equitable uh, pay that's equivalent to the pre-K program that's in the Department of Education. It's unfair that we're not doing that, and it sends the wrong message in the process. And that seems to be maybe the biggest sticking point between the city council and the de Blasio administration in these budget negotiations is that uh, so-called pay parity for the early childhood educators, as you say, in the in the CBOs versus the DOE schools. Um, do, you, do you have a sense of, of what the holdup is there? Is that really just a, the, the de Blasio administration not wanting to make the financial commitment there that would then basically be expected uh, going forward? Or do you have any sense of what the holdup is on, on that pay parity? No, I don't. And I think it's unfair to continue to have uh, many of these uh, local community-based organizations are uh, in uh, poorer communities where you need to ensure that our teachers who are in these school in these locations, these pre-K locations, are receiving the same salary, the same level of pay that their counterparts are receiving. And I believe a, another important area for us to look at, we can't continue to feed the crisis in our city. And something that really has been below the radar, when you look at the conversation around closed Rikers and the mayor's proposing to open additional jails in four of the boroughs, but we should also look at closing the pipeline that feeds like Rikers. 
almost 30 to 35 percent of the men and women who are on Rikers Island, they're dyslexic. So if we properly address the issue of not giving them the service at the beginning of their educational uh, opportunities, then we can actually start dealing with the process of feeding rankings in the first place. Many of them leave school because they don't properly identify as being dyslexic. They're not receiving the service. They start doing petty crime, then it leads to larger crime. And so closing a facility without closing the pipeline that feeds the facility is, is not going to solve the problem. It's only going to create and continue to create the crisis. And that, that is also true for those in foster care who age out. Those foster care young people who age out, they become victims of criminal behavior or they participate in criminal behavior. By allocating $50 million to give them what's called life coaches, uh, it would allow them to get the support that they need. Right now, only 3% of those who age out of foster care or who are in foster care actually graduate from college. And that is just a, a real indicator that there's no future for them if we don't, we're not giving them the support that they need. On the topic of the mayor's borough jail's plan replacing Rikers with facilities in four of the five boroughs, last week you chaired a borough hearing on that. People expressing their views on the plan to expand a facility that already has a jail footprint in your borough. I know your recommendations are, are, are due uh, soon. What is your take on the proposal overall and the specific plan for your borough? And it would be unfair to me without hearing um, all of the stakeholders involved before we produce our report. It gives the opinion that I was never willing to listen to people and I already had my mind made up and I don't operate that way. And so I'm going to hold off on saying what our formal a position is until I have an opportunity to hear from all the stakeholders involved. It's a very complex conversation because as we bring down the total number of those who are incarcerated in Rikers Island, uh, we want to be uh, really responsive to the needs of the community and at the same time move forward with the plan to close Rikers. And so we will be giving out our, our formal report and at that time it would, it would be clear on what our position is. Sticking with uh, the Close Rikers plan and uh, public safety, you're a former uh, member of the NYPD um, and, you know, been outspoken on criminal justice issues and policing issues. Do you have any thoughts right now in terms of some of the discussions that are that are happening, the reforms that happen in Albany, um, the, the plan to get the New York City jail population down to around 4,000, as the mayor, I believe, recently predicted it could get with the with the new changes out of Albany on bail and discovery? Do you have any concerns that things are swinging too far in the other direction? Anytime you deal with public safety, you should you should move at the right pace. We can't allow emotions to actually generate the policy. I was clear under the former speaker, Speaker Leverito, I was clear with her that there was no reason we were turning C summonses and criminal court summonses into warrants. Uh, we partnered with her as we moved our city away from that. That was a big mistake. If someone uh, received a summons uh, for a particular offense, and they did not show in court. If they would have shown up in court, they would not have a permanent mark on their record. If they didn't show up in court, they would have a permanent mark on their record, and they would have a warrant. 
And I knew that was a big mistake, particularly when we looked at how we were issuing summonses and also petty crimes uh, based on the area of the city that a person happened to live in. That's the same way I feel about uh, decreasing uh, the prison population in Rikers. I don't believe that a person who commits a nonviolent act, as I said earlier, should be uh, incarcerated in Rikers merely because they do not have uh, enough money to pay for bail. I think that's that's wrong, and it's the wrong way to way to go. Those who commit predatory crimes, I'm, I'm extremely clear on it. Those crimes like rape, robbery, burglary, homicide, felonious assault, uh, kidnapping, uh, they should be incarcerated. And I don't believe that we should ignore that. And there's some people who say we don't need jails at all. There's no reason for anyone to be in jail. I do not subscribe to that theory. I police the city of New York, and I don't want to return to the days when we were all riding around with no radio signs in our cars, and many of our family members were victims of violence, including gun-related violence. If you are a violent person that commits predatory crimes, you should be incarcerated until you are able to be able to fit into society where you're not harming innocent people. So just shifting topics, but staying on on, on the issue of, uh, of Brooklyn's focus, Brooklyn has one of the highest concentrations of public housing in the country. It's 58,000 some odd apartments, nearly 100 developments. The conversation about when and how and in what way to develop on NYCHA territory, where are you on that? Do you think the city should be moving more aggressively to develop, quote-unquote, unused land on NYCHA complexes? Should that development be market rate or affordable? What do you think the city should be doing in terms of using that territory for affordable housing and also to perhaps uh, help the, the bottom line of the struggling housing authority? Well, I think there's a threefold answer. Uh, one, uh, the city and the state, uh, we must get back into affordable housing mindset. Uh, the last initiative we put in the long program. We're, lo- we're losing you in and out again there, Borough President Adams. Okay. Oh, that's, that's better. Uh, is this clear? <laughs> yep, okay. that's better. Much, yes. The initiative, uh, the last time we had a real push for affordable housing, as I stated, was under the Mitchell-Lama program. We need to roll out a serious middle-class and low-income housing. Often we talk about uh, only low-income, but really we're losing our middle class. And a report that was produced by the United Way really emphasizes that 40% of New Yorkers are experiencing a sufficiency deficit, meaning that they are not making enough to pay for their basic services, food, shelter, and clothing. And NYCHA is one of the most important entities that we can build real affordable housing around and middle-class housing. I think that we should utilize the infill building. I believe the RAD program, as we experience in Rockaway, is an excellent program. I believe that when you do the infill building, such as grandparent housing or housing for tenants who are currently living in NYCHA, we can build and allow them to have the first new sites that are being built. They may want to downsize. Many people are living in NYCHA apartments and three-bedroom units, and their families have shrunk in size, but they're afraid to leave the location because they will move to another community that they're not familiar with, particularly our senior population. 
And I believe that all of this should be done with a, with a conversation with the NYCHA residents. One thing for sure, you know, when you have a multi-billion dollar capital deficit, you can't continue to do business as usual and not expect to continue to see our housing stock and NYCHA continue to go into a dilapidated state of repair. But what we also must do is utilize technology to ensure that there's not too much waste and mismanagement. Simple, simple things that many people have ignored for such a long time. Uh, Chief Anamon, the former uh, chief of the police department who was part of the Comstat era, uh, we sat down with him and the former head of NYCHA to talk about how we can use Comstat to better monitor NYCHA and to ensure that repairs are done on time, to ensure that we're not having a hemorrhaging of resources and capital dollars that are leaving the development of without appropriate oversight. So we are not using technology in an appropriate way to ensure that NYCHA is moving into the 21st century. We cannot continue to use the models that we're using now. So shifting a little bit to, to politics in our last four or five minutes here, um, you mentioned just a moment ago this idea of there's you know there's people out there talking about how we don't need to put people in jail and you don't subscribe to that um, you know when it comes to to violent offenses especially um, that seems perhaps like a reference to the Queens District Attorney race uh, where you have public defender Tiffany Caban talking about closing Rikers and not building any new jails or any new jail capacity. Um, and you have backed Queens Borough President, your Borough President counterpart, Melinda Katz, uh, in that race. Can you say a little bit more about your decision to support uh, Melinda Katz for that for that race? Yes, and, and what I was um, talking about about predatory crimes was was in no way connected to that. Race. Okay, this is a position I've taken for years. Everyone knows that I, I believe in public safety. That's a prerequisite to prosperity. I, I endorse. Of uh, President Cass, based on my years of really working with her when she was in the city council, as well as uh, Ball President, I think she's extremely thoughtful and knowledgeable, and I believe that she'll make a great district attorney. And understanding the role of the district attorney is to really think outside the box, not only to prosecute crimes, but sort of what Ken Thompson did in Brooklyn. Um, how do we create environments to prevent crimes? Uh, the DA of yesteryear is that the only looking to be in the courtroom and uh, have these high-profile cases is something that is no longer what I, what I believe a prosecutor should do. Some of the prosecutorial misconduct cases that we have witnessed, some of the, the cases that we've seen here in Brooklyn where a countless number of people were convicted and they were placed in jail for long periods of time just to be told that they did not commit a crime. Um, we need DAs who are going to be conscientious, thoughtful, and creating an environment of public safety without harming those who are innocent. And I just believe Paul uh, President Katz will actually um, hold that position in the matter which I believe should be carried out. And so a final question, and this relates to 2021. You've expressed some interest in uh, seeking the mayoralty that year. And two of the other people who have expressed similar interests, Scott Stringer, the city comptroller, and Corey Johnson, the speaker of the city council, have had a dispute in recent weeks about a council proposal to rework the city's campaign finance law uh, in a way that would affect uh, donations connected last year and maybe force the return of some money under previous laws. Um, it's been uh, a, a kind of... Uh, 
a nasty dispute yeah. and, and one that potentially could affect uh, you as well. Do you have any reaction to the council proposal and, and that uh, argument between your two uh, colleagues in city government and potential uh, rivals in 2021? Well, I am on an island alone in politics on this issue. Hmm. We should not have money in politics at all. And dropping the dollar amount to $250 or dropping the the maximum amount to to $2,000 is not going to solve the problem. The problem in politics for all those out there that's not familiar is that there's money in politics. And the problem in politics will never go away until we take money out of politics. If you have a $2,000 maximum donation, Try knocking on the door of a NYCHA resident and saying, can you make a $2,000 donation to my campaign? You're not speaking to your voters if you're speaking to your donors. And if you have to raise millions of dollars, a mail raise, you would spend roughly $7 million. You have to raise roughly $3 million of straight money. Good, qualified people are unable to run for mayor, and we will never hear their voices because they cannot raise the money to do so. And so when you look at the conversation uh, between Scott Stringer and the uh, Corey Johnson, uh, that's, a, that's a first world problem. A poor black man like me is doing the best he can to get his message out and try to get as many low dollars that he can. When you do an analysis of my donations, I have the lowest average dollar amount of any candidate that's running because I'm speaking to voters every day. But there's money in politics. I was hoping the mayor would move to uh, take money out of politics altogether. He didn't do it. I thought it was a a missed opportunity. And I was hoping that the city councils uh, would do the same thing with their charter revision. No one wants to confront the real enemy of politics, and that's money in politics. We should not be calling individual people and ask them to donate money in the campaign. It should be public finance, limit the amount a person can spend, have a short window of time that you're able to campaign. Everyone plays on an equal playing field. It doesn't matter if you live on Park Avenue in Manhattan or Park Place in Brooklyn. Everyone should, voices should be heard. And it's almost an insult to think that lowering dollar amounts is going to change the corruption problem in politics. And and hearing all that in just our last couple of seconds here, should we assume then that you'll be opting into the new campaign finance system? You have a choice to make with the lower the lower donation limits and the higher public match. You'll be opting into that one. We should not assume, assume <laughs> that. Okay. Uh, my my uh, campaign team is going to look down and do do an analysis of you know exactly which way we should move. I, I'm a firm believer. You don't change the game in the middle of the game. Uh huh. Uh, you know. What people are trying to say, and particularly when it impacts you, any major changes in this in the system should not be beneficial to any party involved. And I think that's part of what Scott Stringer was stating. Yes, um, I thought it was wrong. I thought it was wrong for the city council to vote on their own raises. I think it's wrong for any elected official to do something that's going to impact them while they are in, ser- in, in service. And so. We will look at the system and make a determination on what's the best way for us to move forward as a candidate. Very, very good. Well, we will follow up with you on that then. Thanks for taking some time with us, Borough President Adams. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the station and all the great things you've done over the years. Take care. Take care. 
Thank you, Borough President. Thank you, Ben Max. We've come to another exciting, the end of another exciting edition of Max and Murphy. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Please join us. Thanks to our intern, Cyan Hunt. Thanks to Reggie Johnson. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up next. You've been listening to Max and Murphy. Have a great week in the greatest city of the world.